Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Well, get comfortable. Larry Olson here, and thank you again for tuning in. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the last three podcasts that we had and get in kind of the nitty-gritty of what these people were sharing with us. And to start out, we're going to start with Tim Sprague, who is a very much of a big name in the Phoenix area relative to restoration and the whole consideration about the fact that he has children here. He'd love to see them grow up. He'd like the grandchildren, which he already has. And rather than what happens, unfortunately, in a lot of areas is they want to leave town because there's always something greener on the other side. And in many cases, that's the truth. But what he has attempted to do in his work and his participation and contribution is to make sure that what he does contributes to the overall quality of the experience here in Phoenix, Arizona. So one of the things I I was very intrigued by Because as you know, we're looking for what is the mindset? What is going on in other people's minds that cause them to do the things they do? I mean, sometimes we see things when we go, what were they thinking about? And I think just by my tone of voice, you understand that that was a little bit of of an oddity that we witnessed. Or why would someone ever do that? But when you get into someone's mind, you begin to get a whole different story. You begin to recognize that. This whole thing about not judging a book by a cover is so profound, so simple, yet it's something that a lot of people continue to miss because what they're doing is they are judging the book by the cover. They don't know what someone's gone through in their lives. And so when I asked Tim, Tim, with all of the successes you've had developing new areas and going into communities and helping people become a part of the change rather than just being insulted by the change, and which is a great way to embrace the new. Um, I mentioned about obstacles to Tim, and he came up with a statement by Marcus Aurelius, which was thousands of years old, and yet it, I really got into it. I didn't really peel the onion too much with him at the time, but what Marcus Aurelius said is, the obstacle is the way. Now think about that, any of you out there that have ever had any challenges. Or think about right now, what you're thinking about while you're listening to the podcast. What came to mind when I said challenges? And it could be someone you're working with. It could be a relationship that you're involved in. It could be a decision that you have to make and you're, you're having difficulty coming up with which would be the best in the overall in the long run, which is difficult to do because most of us, our decisions are very short-sighted. And then we find out if that was an intelligent decision down the road. So when we look at obstacles, when we look at setbacks, what we're looking at is, is this going to be something I can learn from, which is what Marcus Aurelius was saying, the obstacle is the way? Or is this, doggone it, just another one of those things that comes up that just, you know what, me off. And it makes me so friggin' upset that I just, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm even having this conversation with that person. 
Not only is that unhealthy, but what happens is, is when we talk to ourselves, it has 10 times more power than when we share it with somebody else. We are talking to ourselves how often, okay? We are constantly in conversation, and that conversation, if there's not another human there, is typically about how our life's going. They can be the most odd comments that come into our mind or ideas. And yet, if you look at any area of your life and just pick one, pick your finances. Now, you want to know why they're the way they are? Well, all you have to do is look at the conversations you have about it. Look at the truths you tell yourself about finances. Either you don't have enough money, or you don't know what to do with your money, or you wish you had money to begin with. And when fortunately, what those thoughts do, since we are such a pristine entity, and as I've shared in other podcasts, we're not into discovering life, we're into creating it. And yet we're in a society that tells us more about what to think about, how to think, where to vote, how to vote, that we lose sight of the fact that, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what are my ideas on that? Can I just scratch away and erase away all of the things I hear on television, all the things I hear on radio, all the things that I am putting into my brain, which is storing every bit of it? I mean, you don't have to buy new storage on the cloud because all of a sudden you got too many movies, for crying out loud. You have an infinite amount of space. And if the thought isn't entertained over time, it begins to lose its power because the brain is not idiotic. It's not going to store stuff that has no value. Well, you say, well, wait a minute, Larry, I've got a lot of crap in there, you know, and it keeps reminding me of bad experiences. Well, no, 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 that's something else again. That's, by the way, evolved into all of us. It's our reptilian brain. It's a fight, flight, freeze, which I've talked to you about before. And what it does is it gathers the information that is significant enough to alter your destiny. So somebody breaks up to you. That, was, that hurt. That was painful. So what does the brain do? I'm going to store that. I'm going to store it not only on to, as to what happened, but I'm also going to store it emotionally. So that if they ever see another person of that particular sex that they're attracted to, my job is to remind them that there is danger out there. And gang, that was really efficient when there was a Bengal tiger, wasn't there? You know, or there's a pounding at your door. But there typically isn't that going on. More often than not, most of us are blessed that we just read about it or we watch it. We don't necessarily have we experienced it. Unless we've gone to war or we've done some protesting or we've put ourselves into a position where anything can happen. But more often than not, there's a hesitancy about us of inflicting pain on self because it doesn't feel good. So getting back to the obstacle is the way, I want you to start considering the next time you start to get upset about something that's happened, I want you to ask yourself, what are you getting upset about? Because the other thing Marcus Aurelius was, was a stoic. 
And Stoicism is all about a philosophy of not allowing emotion to come into the play when you're making decisions. Because unfortunately, emotion is a 10-pound boulder on the scales of justice. And it's up against a dime in one scale, and then you drop the emotion on the other scale. And how on earth are you going to make a practical decision? So that's the old adage, count to 10 before you open your mouth. What's really happening is you're allowing your frontal lobes to get alerted again because, remember, they get shut down when you get angry because you just need to react now. You need to get out of the way of the danger because if you thought about, is that danger going to hurt me? It's over. Okay? Now, wasn't that a fascinating thought? You know, another thing that Tim shared with us, he talked about the fact that clear-headedness wins out on almost every scenario. That clear-headedness is a concept, isn't it? That I've got to get rid of all this emotion. I've got to, I've got to think clearly, all right? And that's almost to the point of well, I've got to meditate, you know, or I've got to... And you know what? There's some serious skill sets that are involved in meditation and, and affirmations and all of these things to help us become mindful. And we talk about it like it's a piece of cake. Well, the piece of cake is the fact that if you close your eyes, you've started the meditative process. If you can actually just imagine yourself breathing and pay attention to your breath, you didn't have any thoughts there for a while, did you? And that's the whole idea behind meditation, isn't it? Is to give ourselves the opportunity to relax a little bit, to knock the stress hormones down so we're not in this constant state of alertness. That'll wear you out. It can wear you out without even doing anything physically. Some people get home from work and they're too tired to play with the kids. And why'd they have them to begin with? So, no, I didn't mean you had them for toys. I just meant that <laughs> we... We do things because of a vision and a goal. And it's either ours or it's been perpetuated by society into us. And in society, there's not a lot of goals, are there? There's this goal to get out of school. There's this goal to get a job. There's this goal to find a mate. There's this goal to have children. There's this goal to get a house. There's this goal to get a... Then to retire. And when you think about it, if you're not creating in life... It's already been created for you. All you got to do is uh, take the picture and uh, fill the numbers in and then call yourself a painter. <laughs> okay? You're just doing following the directions. You're not being creative. And again, if you ever do anything creative, be careful of the feedback you receive. As I talked in my last webinar about the fact that we can have it all, and yet we have to pay attention to how we consider whether we have it all or not, because as soon as we tell ourselves we don't, then we open ourselves to all the evidence to prove we're right. And one of the things I shared with you, and one of the things that Tim shared with us, is I asked him about the power of being creative. And here's a guy who's purely logical, 
And I've played music with him in a rock band, and you know he can really lighten up, but he's still very analytical. He's still very logical. Everything has been thought out in advance. His spontaneity um, is something that puts him a little out of his comfort zone, yet he has fun with it. So he's not afraid of it. It's just not his modus operandi. But isn't this interesting? When I asked him to go back to his 17-year-old, and ask his, tell his 17-year-old what he would have liked to have known then, because he's in his 60s now, what advice would he have given that 17-year-old? And here's a guy that had a very, very, very successful father. He was involved in all types of organizations. He bought and sold companies. Um, he brings Tim up to become a lawyer, and then he recognizes that he's not too thrilled about laws, but he does have a niche for getting into developments and turning what was just raw land now into magnificence that people enjoy and, call, and can call a little village. I said, what would you tell this 17-year-old? And do you remember what he said? He said, follow your heart. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't that have emotion in it? Isn't that, aren't we going to get in a little touchy-feely now for you Stoics out there? But no, we're not just one thing, are we? Just because we have a philosophy doesn't mean that that's how we take care of our whole life, does it? It means that it's a North Star, if you will. It means that it's something that guides us. But when I asked him more about that, he said, if I'd have followed my heart, I'd been in the music industry. You know, and he wasn't talking about, he realized that, and I don't agree with him, but he realized that he didn't think he had the talent as a bass player to take it to that level. But he certainly understood the industry. He understands business. He thinks he could have done quite well in it and enjoyed the heck out of it. Not that he's not enjoying his life now, because I think he's more following his heart now than he ever has in his life. But I want to thank Tim for being with us and the, so many things he shared with us. And um, that just amazed me to stop and recognize that the more often I have an obstacle and don't get upset, I get excited. The more I take the choice of going, you know, this is really disappointing. I just lost my job. You know, this is really dis this is disappointing. I just bought that car and I've just totaled it. You know, this is really disappointing. And I remember an opportunity, or not an opportunity, but something happened to me in college. I'd finally got out, and I had my own place, and, and I was working in the evenings, at, by the way, at Larry's Janitor Service. It was not mine, but I was scrubbing floors in restaurants and cleaning windows and doing whatever to, to make money. Um, so I recognized that I was getting a little extra money now, so I decided to buy a stereo outfit, and that's what they called them then. And they had a bunch of speakers, and they had a 33 RPM deck, and um, I remember I had a diamond needle. Uh, must have been a great one because it was about $23, but... Um, but anyway, I, I, I had really gone out on this, and the only way I could get this was to drop the homeowner's insurance. Otherwise, I couldn't make it happen. And, uh, yep, you probably figured this story out. Uh, three nights later, I came home 
and the back door was open and I'm like, what's going on? And I go in and my stereo's gone and I hear a car going down the alley. I made payments on that stereo for four years. But guess what I learned? Don't drop the homeowners. <laughs> so that's a whole nother story. But it was a very upsetting. You follow me? If I'd known what I'd known now, I'd have recognized what a learning here. And I'd have probably been laughing about it as I am now. And you know what? If we could just step away and look at it and put it into perspective, then having it be the worst thing that could possibly happen to us, you know, you lose that job. When you really think about it, you probably didn't like most of it anyway. And now's your opportunity. But again, here's something that's very powerful. Make sure that you've made the change inside of yourself of looking forward, of learning from it. Remember the obstacles the way? You found the gift in the fact that you lost your job because you're going to take yourself emotionally to the next interview. And if you're not coming across as pumped and excited, how many, new, how many companies want to hire someone who says, you know, why are you getting this job? Well, I lost my last one. Oh, well, why us? Well, you answered the phone. You got back to my email. Oh, boy, I can't wait to hire that one. They will probably really inspire the rest of us. So that was the experience that we had with Mr. Sprague. Now let's move into another treat. And that was we had the opportunity to have someone here that has made a huge difference in my physicality. And that is Dr. Ramsey. Now, Dr. Ramsey is not just a doctor. Dr. Ramsey is a human being that cares about you. And she cares about you so much that she wants you to ward off any kind of ailment or injury, or not so much injury because those things sometimes just happen, but anything that we could do that's not in the best interest of our body. So we don't have to go to the doctor and have it cut out or have it drugged away or what, what, you got to stop doing that. And don't we all love to hear that? You got to stop eating your favorite food. I mean, the big picture is going to be much more. That, that is another topic that we'll get into down the road is how do we make changes without fighting our way through them? Now, one of the things that struck me about not only about caring for each other but she comes across as someone with such confidence not arrogance she's not full of herself she's confident though because she doesn't share what she doesn't believe in she doesn't try things out on people and that very much impressed me because I don't want to be the guinea pig now, if I've got a four-stage four cancer and there's, there's somebody down in Lima, Peru that has a trial drug and that's the only thing, I, hey, I'm going to raise my hand. If I can pull it off, uh, I like living. But the, what I found so powerful in her was she is about the whole person. 
And that means not only how are you doing physically, but how are you doing mentally? Because she knows they're all entwined. There's not the separation that a lot of people who are in specialties talk about. And without knowing it, they ignore one for the other. That's why it's called holistic medicine. Because it's not just Western, it's not just Eastern, it's the best of the best, no matter where it comes from, without prejudice, without bias, and it just pierces through your own intellect to where you say, I want that. And then you don't go home disappointed in what you got. You don't have to return it. You actually experience the physiological change that transpires as a result of the opportunities that that field offers. And she's a specialist in it. But one of the things I asked her is, where do you think this came from? You know, And I didn't ask her, where did your independence come from? But I got the answer. When she was four years old, she was playing out in the yard. And she, her, she said that probably one of her greatest gifts is curiosity, that she has an insatiable appetite. And she was fascinated with something. Well, everybody lost sight of time. And there were no sunscreens. And so guess what happened to her? She got third-degree burns. Now, before you get all around out around with her mother, I'm sure her mother had curiosity too and was involved, and her daughter was safely playing outside. She probably thought, well, maybe she'll go into the shade. <laughs> but when you're focused, you're focused. Sometimes you can't hear a gun going off next to you. Now, so what ended up happening, though, is her mother came out and she basically, what she said is, what have you done? Now, take a four-year-old mind who's having the time of their life, who is fascinated, has got to be playing all day long, and now all of a sudden is the cause of what took place. By the who said of the greatest magnitude, which is mom. And all you moms out there, remember, it makes an impression when you're just thinking upsetness, but when it comes out of your mouth, it takes that pliable brain and begins to create a little concrete in it with a thought that's never to be forgotten and never to be lost. And so she knows how much her mom loves her. She knows it comes from love. But what happened to her? She decided she needed to take care of herself. She decided she needed to be independent at four. And it absolutely transformed her. Um, she has a great relationship with her mother. I mean, it's not like, I mean, in fact, she looks at it now as a gift. Now, some people could have been tra traumatized by that into the, into the deal, well, I'll never go out in the sun again. I'll never get out in the yard. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever my mom tells me to do. We all react differently, don't we? But I want you to ask yourself, when you do react, what are you reacting to? Are you reacting to what you're attempting to grow into, which we call vision, our sense of purpose, our goal, or are you reacting to the situation that occurred? 
Now, do you know 99 out of 100 people react to the situation that occurred? They don't put it into the big picture, which is how is this now going to assist me in either learning how to get more of what I want or not doing that again because it held me back. Think about living like that. You know, I have found personally that you have a lot more fun. And you begin to realize that you're going to have setbacks one after the other. You're going to have things that don't go your way. You're going to, because you can't control anything other than your own thinking. And you know, the only time I was ever out of control was when I was trying to control everything other than myself. So to be in control is absolutely means you are out of control. And everybody can see it but you. So that being said, I, I, I really, really thought about this next statement that she shared. She was a trauma nurse. She was, um, a, on the, she was also mobile. So she'd be in one city working in one hospital, and then after a while she'd be transferred to another. And so she got to see the country, and she said she was doing it on purpose because she really wanted to find out where home was. And ultimately... I asked her, what about all the surprises that you confronted? What about all the things that you didn't expect, just like we've been talking about? I mean, how did you handle that? And she goes, well, I learned something years and years ago. And I go, what was that? And it was, only the wise aren't surprised. And she went on to say, now think about this. Any of you have ever got upset talking with someone, have ever got upset listening to someone, have ever got upset? Now, there's nothing, I'm not saying anything about being upset that you shouldn't be. I'm just saying that whenever you're upset, you dump a bunch of cortisol in your system. Cortisol will kill you, okay? It's number one cause of heart disease, which is the number one killer in America today. In the meantime, COVID had taken over, but that's not going to last forever. But people will continue to put themselves under stress or they'll start to pay attention and recognize that only the wise aren't surprised when you hear something that you don't believe or agree with. Don't be surprised about that for crying out loud. Do you think you know everything? Do you think you've heard everything? Do you think your beliefs are the only beliefs that an individual has in this thing called life? It doesn't mean you have to give up your belief. Never give up a belief unless you find it holding you back. And make sure what you're going after is so pure that everyone is benefiting from it. That no one is sacrificed to accomplish what you want. Otherwise, you're in no danger of enjoying this thing called life. And as you'll find out, no matter what age you are, we really don't get a lot of time in this thing called life to be wasting any of it not enjoying ourselves right now. Even if your tire blew out and you had to pull over, don't pull the pot, don't turn the podcast off. You'll get your tire fixed. Use this as an exercise to ask yourself, how am I handling it? What kind of perspective did I just place on it? And um, 
One last thing that I want to share about Dr. Ramsey, and I encourage you to find her podcast, to listen to it, and to um, take notes. And I want you also to just feel her spirit, feel her energy, feel her aliveness. And you know what was so what is so cool, and I've shared this with all of you before, because I've, it was a big thing I needed to learn, and that was listening. And I'm still working on it. But every time I interrupted her, because she had shared something that we needed to spend some time on, she paused. She'd look upset. She didn't say, just a minute. She didn't do the classic, which is talk louder. I love that. <laughs> um, she she paused. And I said, you know, a lot of people, they'll get really judgmental when somebody interrupts them. They'll really get judgmental when something doesn't go their way or they see something that's not quite right. And you know what she said? And I want every one of you to think about this. Everything I have judged in my life, I had become. We don't like in others what we dislike most in ourselves. And so, chill. What are you judging anyway? Did you just get some supreme commandment that you are the one? And I don't want you to misunderstand that because it doesn't get any better than you. But also, you aren't any better than anybody else. And where we really grow is by embracing the differences that are going on around us. We really grow by recognizing that I don't want to always get my way because I already know my way. And if it's just my way, my way will get old real soon. So I want to find new ways. I want to find new understandings. I want to find new perspectives. And that was what was so joyful in talking to Dr. Ramsey. So those of you who want to have the best possible vehicle you can have, which is called your body, and it's driving you around, it takes you wherever you go, it will never let you down until you decide to let it down. And she said that our body can heal itself if we allow it. And I mean it if you are looking at the end in the bottom of an empty Dorito bag. Ask yourself who bought it, who opened it, and who finished the chips. And recognize everything starts with a choice. And you only choose that which is in harmony with your belief about your body, your belief about your mind, your belief about your spouse, your belief about your friends, your belief about your husband, or I already said spouse, your belief about life itself. So when you open your eyes in the morning, remember, you are about to experience a day that has never existed in the history of man. Absolutely everything is possible. But you've got to make that choice. And you've got to keep making that choice. And in our little trilogy here of um, who our last three podcasts were with, I want to share the last one that we, that we experienced before I did this overview was by a gentleman called Ted Simons. 
Now, Ted Simons, I met on LinkedIn. And we reach out to everyone on LinkedIn and give them the opportunity to connect and all of the things that LinkedIn is all about and sharing best practices. And what I've been attempting to do is I've been attempting to find the company out there that wants to partner up, that understands it's got the efficiencies necessary to hit it over the fence organizationally and, and from a bottom line perspective. But it wants to bring the mental game to the party. It wants their people to be joyful. It wants them to be so involved in what they're doing that they're not staring at a computer for hours during the day, that they don't drift off, that they don't become disengaged. And it's one of the most challenging things for most leaders to do is to recognize that it's not a statement that my people are my number one asset. It's a fact. You can't fake it with your people. They see right through you. So it's got to be authentic. It's got to be done on purpose. And like anything else, it'll only be as good as the information that you go out and collect. And so that's the major reason that I've gotten involved and my company's gotten involved in LinkedIn and Instagram is, is to not only share information, but to look for an opportunity to partner up to put these combinations together because the organizations that I've done that with in the past have had explosive growth, had have retention that's unheard of relative to people sticking around instead of finding the next great opportunity. Because we all know, we've all heard the stats, for instance, on how many jobs most people are going to have before they, quite, they, they figure it out. And the reason they have those stats is because there's nothing there other than money to keep the person to want to play anyway, if that is all the organization is offering. And so we take a look at that. There's no reason to enjoy our life if all we're offering ourselves is the same information, day in and day out. So one of the most powerful things I learned when I had my conversation with Ted Simons, and Ted Simons was the guy whose father was a salesman. His father was an installer. He'd not only sell the equipment, but he'd come out and he'd install it. And he traveled all over. He had so many states that he worked with, and he did a phenomenal job, but he wasn't around a lot. So Ted had a lot of opportunities to have other mentors in his life, but he also had this model. And so he got involved in sales. And I mean, he was a a go-getter. He was a kind of guy that... Jack Nicholas discovered and, and asked him if he would set up their um, uh, golf schools. And he set them up all over the world. And he worked with him for over 18 years. And that's a big name to be involved in. And if any of you have ever heard about working with Jack Nicholas or some of the experiences people have had, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. And he's not afraid to tell you how he feels. And you got to be made of really pretty heavy stuff to be able to survive that. And, and you can tell Ted, Ted is a bit of a bulldog in the sense of he can handle it. He doesn't come across to you like that, but uh, he doesn't fear easily. In fact, he doesn't even entertain it was one of the powerful things that we learned about Ted. And I asked him, How do you keep all of these companies going together? And I mean, how do you keep them connected to you? 
And his whole deal was communication. And his communication was never about selling. His communication was always about finding out what they were doing and what they were dealing with and how, how is a product working and, and what's going on at home. And he was, he was really taking a look at every facet of what the impact his product was having on their lives. Not only their lives personally, but their lives as a company. And I really was impressed by that. But when he was younger, uh, one of the things he shared, which I thought was just brilliant, and I don't know what your opinion will be, but um, he was dealing at the time with Rosignol skis. And um, Rosignol is a, is a very, was at the time a very big um, ski manufacturer. And they had decided to get into the tennis business. Now, they didn't know a lot about it, but they decided they were going to get in it, and they made a racket. Well, I asked him, I said, you know, with all the sales you've done, and you just don't have a a fear in your body, and I had been in sales in my life before and just absolutely despised cold calls. And I think I've shared that in other other podcasts. Anyway... I so here's a guy who's got to be the cold call champion, right? He's just knocking it over the fence. He's got all this successful stuff going on. He's got several businesses. And um, one of the things he shared was, I said, so how did, what was cold calling like for you? And he goes, I didn't like cold calling. I go, what? He goes, I didn't like cold calling. It was not at all what I thought. Of course you like cold calling. And he goes, no, I never cold call a day in my life. Well, how'd you get? How'd, how'd you sell those rackets, for instance? It's a brand new product. I mean, how'd you? He says, well, you know, when I was out visiting my clients, what I would do is I would go into a phone booth, and at the times they had yellow pages and phone booths, and he goes, and I would take out these yellow pages that had the sporting goods stores in it. Okay. And he goes, and then what I would do when I got home after my, you know, two, three week trip, I get on the phone, I call Joe's Sporting Goods up and I go, hey, hey, um, yeah, I was just wondering, do you guys have any other Rosinol tennis rackets? And they go, well, no, we don't. And he goes, oh, geez, no kidding. Okay, thanks. And they call another one. He call another one. Two, three weeks later, he called that same store back and he go, yeah, I was wondering, uh, do you guys have that Rosinol tennis racket I've heard so much about? Man, I'd really like to get one and go... Well, no, we haven't. <laughs> the th- third time, now he's doing his road trip. He walks into Joe's and he goes, um, hey, I was here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Rosinol tennis racket. And they go, well, you know, as a matter of fact, we've been getting a lot of calls for that. And he, well, I think we'll take so many. And he was able to sell a product that was brand new, was, you know, was up against Wilson and Head and every other kind of tennis racket you can imagine. Um, Didn't last in the market very long, but we want, we're interested in what others want and what others are interested in because it's the strongest form of advertising is peer pressure. Oh, you got to get one of these. Oh, you got to go there. You got to watch that movie. Now, He said, I don't know if that was the most ethical thing in the world to do because he was a man of ethics. I just thought it was pretty darn creative. 
Because I went and I knocked on doors trying to sell life insurance and talk to young people about dying. And boy, did that create an interesting crowd. (laughs) That didn't last very long for me. But you know what he said? I asked him, I said, what would you suggest to anyone out there who's starting out in sales? What would you suggest to them? And he said simply, whatever it is you're selling, become the brand. Okay? He says, if you can't become the brand, then you're selling the wrong product anyway, and you're not going to be very successful. And he not only that, he goes, get to know your clients, become immersed in the business, just as I shared earlier about that, and constantly stay in communication. And one of the things that's happened during that COVID period is that not only did a lot of companies have to downsize and then try to get their people back. And unfortunately, those people had to find a job, so they weren't available to come back. So now they're spending all their money trying to recruit instead of just developing what they had. Now, that was a unique experience. But other experiences will come up in business as well, and we better be ready for them. They'll come up in our home life, and we better be ready for them. And what do I mean by you better be ready for them is not a conspiracy theory. It's not a frightening statement. It's about the fact that the way you're ready is you're ready now. You're ready for anything. You recognize that the obstacle is the way. You recognize that you get a kick out of setbacks. You don't get set back by the setback. You realize that resiliency is all about the ability not to bounce back, which Webster says, but I would challenge that to say it's the ability to to bounce forward. But if you don't have a vision and you don't have a goal, you can't bounce forward. All you're left is bouncing backwards. Now, how, when you look back, what took place for you to figure out and find out the impact that your parents had on your life. And I think this is so valuable for every single one of us. He said, when you write the eulogy, um, when you're putting their obituary together, you know, he wasn't saddened when he shared this. There were no tears because that had already taken place in his life. But he was sharing an insight that until he looked back, he didn't realize how his mom was always there for him. He didn't realize how the dinner was always planned and he was always attending his music lesson, even though he would rather be playing with his friends. He didn't realize such a discipline occurred in his life that I was almost envious because I don't like to go into envy. But I had, was kind of a lock-key kid, and both my parents worked, and, and so we could do just about whatever we wanted, and therefore, you don't develop any disciplines. Your discipline is play. You get really good at it, and there's a lot of things you sacrifice along the way. It wasn't until later in my life that I began to appreciate discipline, but here's a guy that had it when he was young, and it was embedded enough in him that it carried through his entire life, but he never really got his chance to share the appreciation of it until he was in those situations. And his father, his father was the work ethic. His father was the guy that didn't understand quit. His father was not someone who, when everything fell apart on him, 
he started to feel victimized. He was just like challenged to put it all back together again and make something out of it. And you know, all of us continue to have learnings in our lives. And you know, those, it's so important that we have that opportunity to recognize there are people in our lives now that have made such a huge difference in our lives, and have we, do they know it? Listen to this. I want to wrap this up by sharing this story. 21 years ago, I was visiting my parents. We happened to be living in Houston, Texas at the time. And um, I had just spent a week with my mom and my dad. And they had retired out onto a little island in, in the northwest and was on the water. And it was their dream. And... Um, I was in the sewing room where my mom had all of her, you know, machines and needles and everything. And, and um, my dad came in and we were passing each other in the hallway. And it was about 1130 at night. And um, I said, hey, dad, I just wanted to share something with you. And he goes, what's that? I said, I, I, I went to a seminar a couple weeks ago. And they asked to write down the most influential person in your life. And I said, Dad, I wrote your name down. And my dad teared up. And he looked at me. I mean, looked at me. He told me he loved him. He told me he loved me. It was the most amazing experience I can I can ever remember. I mean, not, I'm not downplaying the birth of the children and all, and getting married and all of those things at all. I'm just saying it was that moment that you couldn't replicate, that only happens once in your life. Because here's what took place. A week later, I get a phone call. We're back in Houston, and it's my mother. My dad had slipped into a coma, which he never came out of. I flew back with him. Most difficult thing I had to do was pull the plug. It had hit his reticular activating system. And the neurologist told me, and the work I'm in, I knew what the reticular activating system was. It's the alerting device. If it goes south, you and I will never wake up again. Our bodies can be, beaming, can be beating and can be healthy and can be strong. And you look like you're going to open your eyes at any moment, but that, that's not going to happen. So we had to pull the plug. And I was so distraught. I, I was not going to take my dad's life. And so I had done some work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes about a year prior to that. They'd asked me to do a life program for them. And the leader of it was very, very, very charismatic. I called him up and I said, I'm about to make the most difficult decision in my life. And he goes, stop right there. No, you're not. He said, this is not in your hands. He said, if your father's not going to live again, if he has that brain anomaly, then you're, you're simply doing the right thing. You leave the rest to a higher power. And I can't tell you how relieved I was to hear that at that moment in time. And... Um, but I'm telling this story, and I apologize if it, if it got a little somber. 
But that was a classic moment with my dad. And did I know that he was going to die in a week? No. Then why did I pause and tell him that? Because I think all of us recognize there's so many things we know we should say. It could even be going through the supermarket line and you happen to have a checker with a personality and they actually kind of make you feel good. And you actually pause and say, you know what? You've got an amazing personality. Thank you for making this checkout memorable. I guarantee you, you made their day. But we don't. We just say it to ourselves. We say it to ourselves. We say it to ourselves. I challenge all of you out there. I thank you for listening to the podcast. I encourage you to, if you have some questions that you wish I had asked, because I know that happens to me when I listen to somebody, why didn't they ask this question? Please send those to us at success at mindsetplaybook.com. Because then I can incorporate that into the upcoming. I'm all about getting better. How about you? But I'm all about making sure that the people in my lives who have been influential, I let them know. How about you? Thank you so much for the time that we've spent today. I look forward to our next opportunity. And I'd like you to listen to a little music and the wonderful voice of Walker as he shares what our next exciting experience is going to be all about. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. In our next podcast, we will hear from Richard Brock, who was named Georgia High Technologies Entrepreneur of the Year and one of the 10 most influential people in CRM by Sales and Marketing Automation Magazine. Learn about his cutting-edge AI software that actually listens and remembers, as well as the fact that people won't necessarily remember what we gave them but will always remember the value they perceive from us.